Thank you for joining Sumter Chapel's weekly podcast. We hope that this message encourages you and speaks life to your spirit. As always, we pray that this podcast will further God's kingdom by seeing one more made new. Now, let's get started with today's message. But authenticity is a huge part of our culture today. There's just this whole movement um, towards being authentic, being real. Um, and we see examples of it everywhere, even negative examples. The easiest negative example is probably our great president, Donald Trump. And it's not a political thing because I don't care about what his policies are. He is who he is, and that's why he won, funny enough. His brashness, his um, willingness to say things off the cuff, I think connected with a lot of people. There was this idea that there were these, all these fake politicians and he portrayed himself as this very genuine, authentic, he is who he is. Now, a lot of that is not <laughs> good qualities that I think anyone would say, I want my child to grow up and act like this in public. But there's a genuineness to it, an authentic nature to it, and it connected to a wide variety of the culture. And we're seeing that in our culture. We're seeing a pushback against this very performance, measured political scene about people being all buttoned up and having all of these things in order and they'd rather someone be genuine just kind of be who they are and discuss um, discuss things from a very genuine perspective not a this is what I want to accomplish perspective and um, and we're just kind of seeing that win out we we see it in tv the reason we probably had a difficulty coming up with a ton of um, TV moms is there's not a lot of sitcoms now nowadays because there's all these reality shows people want to see reality even if it's not good reality even if it's the bad part of reality the negative part of reality there's just this longing for genuineness there's this longing for genuineness and of course it can go too far it can go to the side of negativity it can go to the side of where someone says well I'm just who I am and what they usually mean by that is, I'm going to behave however I want to behave, no matter how bad it is or how off it is. That's just who I am. And we know that that's not right either because people change. So that's not a correct perspective on even someone's own humanity, that they're not just who they are because they've changed over time and they have the opportunity to change. That's the thing about humans, unlike animals, is we can actually change. We can adapt better than an animal can to their environment. We can change and modify our behavior. And so people who do that, who just kind of push themselves even into a category of just this is who I am, we know that that's not true because change is possible. And people change. We watch them change. We watch them go from being addicts to being clean. And so people's lives can, can change and yet still just be as genuine and authentic. They don't have to begin to put on a show, right? And we can think of um, the positive examples of this when it comes to faith and the church and the authentic nature of what faith should look like. And when we read the gospel stories and when we read the letters in the New Testament, you get really authentic, genuine descriptions of the reality of how these, this faith was working itself out. Some of it was really, really difficult, right? Most of the gospel stories we read, Jesus is constantly having to have this conversation with his disciples about how do you not get it yet? <laughs> how do you not get, 
How do you not get it yet? And there's this very authentic nature to that, that we're watching these, these disciples, these followers, really struggle with who Jesus is openly and honestly. And they get it wrong a lot of the time. And Jesus is having to bring them along and teach them what does a real faith look like? What does a genuine faith look like? And, and so the irony of a church, like a, a, a group of people today or throughout the generations since the early church that put on a show, that kind of turn religion into this show or this ritual or this thing that I just do, this performance that I do, is that that was never the case of how it started. It was all about this genuine relationship, this authenticity, even the bad part of it. Most of Paul's letters, when we read them and you get down to the details of them, is Paul's addressing issues in the churches that are happening. I mean, you want to get a real authentic picture of what Paul had to deal with in his churches, read First and Second Corinthians, and they're chock full of all of the problems going on in the church that he's addressing. And it's not because they were just these horrible people always trying to cause problems. It's because they were human, and they were trying to wrestle with what does it mean to actually have faith in Jesus? What does that mean then when I have relationships with other people, and now Jesus is supposed to define those relationships. What does that actually look like? And then the struggle against the culture that's formed me up into that point in my life. And so all of those things collide in the church. All of these struggles of who I am and what, a, what is life supposed to look like when Jesus comes into it. And it begins to form this, this people who are figuring it out together and there's got to be a genuineness and an authenticity about it because a performance goes against the very thing Jesus was trying to accomplish. He was constantly pushing against the Pharisees and saying, why are you just dressing all of this up as if it's not a difficult thing to have faith in a God that you can't see and, and struggle with the real issues that are around you, right? The biggest struggle for the early believers was they thought Jesus was going to clean up their lives, meaning take care of the Romans and get rid of them and put them back in position of power of having their own country. And he didn't do that. He left them in the mess of their life. He left them in the difficulty. He did not rescue them from the Romans. He did something greater than that ultimately, eternally, but he didn't clean up the circumstances of their life. He allowed them to learn how to live in the circumstances of their life. And it was, it was not easy, but it was real. And the realness of that relationship with the Creator God, with Jesus, transformed entire communities and ultimately transformed their world that, of that day in the first century. And the church spread everywhere. And so this new series that we're walking into about what's up fam is really going to be about the, the, the faith and how it works itself out in our lives individually, but really how it works itself out together as we, as we learn to live faith together. How, how do we figure out working together and functioning together like a family, right? That's the analogy in the New Testament that is the most prominent analogy of the f people of God is a family. And, and that the family structure begins to be emulated by the people of God. And, and the problem with that for most people is we bring all of our dysfunction of our families 
into the, the picture, and then people begin to think like, well, that's how the church is going to work, is this dysfunctional family, but that's not how it's supposed to work. Jesus starts to lay out, this is how you handle a family relationship with other people throughout the scriptures, and Paul in Second Timothy identifies some of this and starts to teach principles to Timothy, and he's saying, you learned some of this from your own family, now apply it into the family of God. Apply it to the people of God where you've learned it from. So God has a lot to say to us in 2 Timothy and will have a lot to say to us through 2 Timothy over the next four weeks about what does it mean to have a genuine, authentic faith together and function like a family of faith and become close-knit together like a family of faith and deal with the realities of life together like a family of faith. So this letter, like I said, is from Paul to Timothy, and I'm going to read a couple verses, but before these, these couple verses, this 5 through 7 of chapter 1, um, Paul calls Timothy his son. He addresses this letter to Timothy and then calls him his son. He says, I'm writing to you, Timothy, my dear son. So immediately he's using familial language, family language. He's talking about Timothy as if he's his son. Now, he was not his son, just in case you were wondering. Paul did not have an earthly son that we know of. We don't think he did. Um, And so Timothy was not his physical son. He was not his earthly son. And yet that's the kind of family relationships that begin to be emulated in the early church. And so this is what Paul writes in verses 5 through 7 of chapter 1. He says to Timothy, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flame the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word teaches us and guides us and reminds us who you are as a good God, as a God that has come after us, that we might be in relationship with you. It also reminds us of how you're forming us to have relationships with others within our families, our immediate families, and within the family of faith, within your people. And we just ask this morning, that you would continue to speak to us about these things, that we might become more like your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So there's this genuine faith, right? And that's the principle of what Paul is reminding Timothy and then charging Timothy with passing on to the people here in Ephesus that he's been given charge over, that he's begun to pastor, is this genuineness of faith this authenticity of faith, this very realness of faith. And, and Paul, his point, the word here for genuine faith is not actually a, um, a, a proactive word. It's actually a, a negative word. I'm not using the right grammar terminology, but we translate it as you have this genuine faith that was passed on to you from your grandmother and your mother, and now you're displaying this genuine faith. The word here is actually not pretentious. It's not a positive word like genuine faith. It's, it's a, you have a non-pretentious faith. It's, an, it's a negative word in the Greek saying, you have a faith that isn't pretentious, that isn't 
um, showy, that doesn't have a performance about it. It's an authentic faith. It's a genuine faith. It's a faith that, that comes from within. And, and he's reminding Timothy of this, having likely been gone from Timothy for years, writing him this letter from prison, we know. And he's saying, Timothy, remember, I love times that we're in. Go back to what was the foundation of who you are. He, he doesn't start off the letter, funny enough, trying to teach him biblical principles or principles about God or theology, right? He starts out with, Timothy, remember who you are. Remember who you are and where you came from and how you were raised up in the faith. Remember, remember the genuineness of the faith of your grandmother, the genuineness of the faith of your mother, and now the genuineness of the faith of you. Now, we don't know if Timothy's dad or his granddad were in his life. We have no clue. We don't get that description in here. So we don't know if he had a father figure at all, if Paul became his father figure because he never knew his father. We don't know. We don't know those details. But we do know that there was a genuineness in the faith of his grandmother and his mother. And there's these spiritual principles that work themselves out that Paul mentions that he says, okay, now do these things as a result of the genuine faith that you have. One of them, he says, is fan the flame of the spiritual gift that you received. What he's talking about is that there are, there are things that God has placed within us, both abilities and talents that he's given us maybe from birth or natural abilities, but then there are these things that he does in our life spiritually after coming to faith to Christ, these spiritual gifts, where we begin to show signs of mercy or service or or prophetic gifts and gifts where we're able to speak to people on behalf of God. There's these gifts that God begins to work within people. And Paul's saying a part of having a genuine faith that works itself out among the people of God is that you actually begin to display those gifts that God has placed within you, that you don't hold back displaying what God has do, is doing in, in your life and through your life. Another thing he says is that you don't live with fear. He says, remember, that we don't have a faith of fear or timidity. That's not what defines our faith. But we have a faith based on power and love and self-discipline. And you think about that in the context of a faith that's been passed down from mothers and grandmothers. And, and it's an incredible description of that faith that Paul is saying is lived out here. This faith that has a power to it. There's a, there's, a, there's a strength to it, a power to it, right? It's not a weak faith. There's a faith that is based in love, of this sacrificial love, this giving faith. It's not a faith that's about me, it's about others. And then self-discipline. You think about the disciplining nature of parents and grandparents and how they raise up children. And that is a part of faith. There's a disciplinary part of faith that doesn't get talked about a lot, Right? But the difficulties of life actually produce discipline in our lives. And a lot of that, children learn from parents. And Scripture tells us God is like a father to us. And what does a father or a mother or a parent in general do to a child that they love? They discipline them. And the child doesn't understand it during the time of discipline, but it forms the child on the other side of that discipline. There's a forming of that child through discipline. Well, the same thing is true of our faith. That just as 
power or strength forms us in our faith, and just as displays of love, sacrificial love, form us in our faith, so does discipline. And in this reality, Paul is actually saying self-discipline, that self-discipline forms a genuine faith in us. So we think about our own faith and our own faith story and how we might have come to faith or seen faith displayed, whether it was through our parents or it was through parent, parental figures in our life, father and mother figures in our life. A lot of the times it's the whole adage of it takes a village to raise a child. It's not just the parents in someone's life that they see faith through. They, they see it through other people. So you may have grown up in a household where you've never seen faith from your parents, but you saw it from other adults that were like parents to you. And you, and you see when people are living out their faith in general, genuine ways, like Paul's describing here, you see a strength to someone's life, a power in their life that doesn't come from them. There's just this like foundation, this rock to someone's life when faith is at the center of it. You see a sacrificial love. You see a love about them that, that you don't see through people who are not living by faith. A willingness to sacrifice and give in ways that someone who doesn't have faith isn't typically exercising. And then you see a self-discipline. You see a willingness to be disciplined and organized and that, that this is how faith works out in my life. That I don't just live in a haphazard way. I don't just do this, do that, do this whenever I feel like it. That there's a disciplined nature to my life because of the faith. And so genuine faith begins to show up in our lives in very specific ways. And in Timothy's life, Paul is reminding him, you saw this best through your grandmother and your mother. You inherited this faith best through how you watched them live in these ways. And then he mentions, as you get to the end of the chapter, he talks about the implications of this. How does it actually like practically work itself out in someone's life that you're able to see their faith. A lot of the times you don't know someone's a believer until you see things or hear things from them in their life. So you think about a random person that you come across. You can start to see that they're a believer pretty quickly through both the words and the actions in their life. And Paul lists some of these. The first one he lists is telling others about Jesus. There's a, there's, a, there's a verbal component to when someone has faith that it begins to just come out when they're talking with other people. It may not be a gospel presentation. That gets like overplayed way too much that somehow a believer is going to go around and just like force people to make decisions about Jesus all throughout their day. That's not what Paul's describing here. He's describing just an overflow of someone's life that if they're in a relationship with God and a genuine relationship with Jesus, it's going to affect their conversations. They're going to find themselves talking about their faith when they're with other people. And he reminds Timothy of this. Don't be afraid to allow the conversations you're having to be centered around faith. He says, don't be ashamed of my suffering in prison like others are. Allow your genuine faith to produce a suffering in your own life, a willingness to suffer in your own life. Unfortunately, the church has done a disservice for most of us in our generation that they've painted a picture of faith that somehow when someone comes to faith, it's as if the suffering goes away or, it's, or some even preach 
that that's the goal of faith, for the suffering to go away. And we know that this isn't true, in this life at least. We know, because Jesus didn't rescue his own people from the Romans, right? We know that this isn't true. It's actually that someone handles suffering differently than the person without faith. And that's what Paul reminds Timothy here, is the reason people were ashamed of Paul going to prison was the same reason they left Jesus when he went to the cross, that many of his followers ran and hid because they were thinking, okay, what kind of a king, what kind of a messiah would get crucified. He's clearly not the king. I guess I need to leave. The same would be true of Paul. Well, if Paul was such this mighty prophet of God, why would God allow him to be imprisoned by the Romans? So maybe Paul's not really who he says he is, and these people begin to leave Paul. They begin to leave him behind and act as if maybe he's not the real deal. And what Paul's reminding Timothy is it's the complete opposite. It's because I'm suffering and yet remaining faithful to the gospel that you know that I'm acting like Jesus, that Jesus is at work in my life, that I have a genuine faith. It's because of how I'm handling my suffering. And he's saying, do the same thing, Timothy. Don't, don't allow the suffering to become a barrier to your faith. Allow it to become a way that you display your faith. And the third thing that he shares towards the end of the chapter that's an outworking of this genuine faith is a teaching of sound doctrine by the power of the Spirit. Now, this gets really interesting because we're in a world where um, we're, in, we're very much in a culture where it's, if I believe it enough, it's true, right? That I share my truth with the world. Everyone has their own truth. That's the culture we're in, right? That is the American culture of today. And what Paul is saying is it's actually the opposite display of faith in the world is that there, there is a sound teaching, a sound doctrine is how it gets translated a lot of the times. There's a, there's a correctness, a truth that God has knit into humanity and then displayed through Jesus Christ that there are truths in the world that God has created and that there's sound doctrine, that there, is, there are hard truths that people have to wrestle with and that it's actually a display of faith when people because of the power of the Spirit in their life, not because they've mustered up enough strength to fight the falsehoods of the world. No, it's because God has rooted me so deeply in His power that I'm willing to stand up against the false lies of this world and share sound truth and doctrine even when the rest of the world doesn't want to hear it. Even when I don't want to hear it, I still share it, right? That's, that's where the rubber meets the road. Even when I don't want to hear the truth of the Scripture, I still share it with myself. <laughs> I still say, no, this is what's true, even though you've been telling yourself lies. But it's the same thing what, what, what Paul is teaching Timothy here. And this is Timothy the pastor, right? He's over a group of people, but Paul is reminding him, don't let the sh- cultural shift in the world change how you're telling people about the Word of God how you're sharing the truth of the Scripture with others. Allow the display of a genuine faith to be that you're continuing to share the sound doctrines, the truths, the foundational things that are real, and don't allow the things in the world to influence that. Make that the baseline of your faith. So I think on this Mother's Day, it's certainly appropriate to talk about the genuineness of faith, the genuineness of love, the genuineness of um, what it looks like when someone lives out their faith in front of, in front of 
the people closest to them, right? That's the beauty of a mother who's sacrificing, who's, who's displaying faith, is that their kids are see, her, her kids are seeing it all the time, right? You can't hide from your immediate family. They see you from who you are, and so they see the bad and they see the good, right? But they see the genuineness, too, in the midst of that. And so they see if someone is genuinely, you know, I made a mistake, I'm sorry. They see if someone's genuinely sacrificing themselves for their own kids, they see it. And unfortunately, they see the opposite as well, right? Someone can say, I didn't grow up with parents like that. I didn't grow up with any sort of sacrificial love or any sort of hope for the future or any sort of display of faith. And children see that really quickly. Kids pick up on that. And we know this to be true. We know that the faith that we see displayed is, is the faith that we inherit. And it's the good and the bad, but it's the faith that we inherit. And God, God begins to do a work through that in our life, no matter how big or little that display of faith was in someone's life, or even the non-existent nature of it. Funny enough, God uses that to form us in our relationship of faith with him and then in our relationship with the family of faith. It begins to form us, who we are and who we become, in our relationship with others, right? When there are uh, gaps in a motherly figure in someone's life, a young woman will typically grow up and then determine to be a mom in a way that she had never had. This is a part of real life, and it's a part of how it also works itself out in the church, that we become father figures and mother figures on this mother, Mother's Day, that there are mothers in the family of faith that begin to display for the entire body of faith what it looks like to be a mother in the faith, right? Paul is calling Timothy here his son without him being his earthly father. And so we know this principle is true in the people of God that there are mothers in the faith that we see displayed in the family of faith that, may, that, that walk alongside even our own earthly mothers, whether they displayed faith or not. So, that's the principle for the people of God that we get out of Paul's teaching here and as we reflect upon Mother's Day, that as we begin to display genuine faith among one another, that we'll have mother figures and father figures actually pop up within our own body. And there will be those who display that to the rest of the body of what this looks like. What does it look like to be a mother or a father in the faith that passes down faith to the next generation? Whether that's happening in someone's immediate family or not, it'll be happening within the people of God. We see it displayed as the people of God gather. And so a faith that is genuine is defined by the strength that it provides someone in their life, the found, that foundational strength, the sacrificial love that they begin to display in their life, and the self-discipline that they begin to exhibit in their own life. And then it works itself out in how we talk about our faith, in how we deal with suffering in our lives, difficulty in our lives, and then in how we actually um, teach principles of truth to others in love. And we, sh we begin to deal with the hard truths of Scripture in the life of people in this world. So Paul here in 2 Timothy is, is 
really diving into where the rubber meets the road on someone's genuineness of their faith. And so our prayer this morning is that God would not only develop a genuine faith in us individually, but then would develop that among the people that he's gathering here at Sumter Chapel, that there would be a genuineness about our faith, that that would be what's attractive to the world, not some sort of show or performance or how good does it look that we have Christ in our life, right? How Christ has, you know, made everything perfect because he's come into our life. That's not what we're going for. We're going for a genuineness and an authenticness of even when the difficulties of life hit, my faith has not been shaken. My faith actually gets stronger and more real, and it's displayed even more because of what's going on in my life, the circumstances in my life.